sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You bruised half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it is Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Thanks for being my podcasting buddy, Brian. Oh, dude, I'm your buddy, buddy. Uh, I'm a little concerned about you. Uh, off mic, Murdoch just burnt his hand. Had nothing to do with preparing for the recording. It had more to do with making a grilled cheese at, at like, bedtime. But listen... I'm pro midnight snack, so good for you and good for your wife. And you know what I really want, which is just unfortunate that I can't have? You know what that is? I, I want a what? big Montana from Arby's, oh. but they don't carry that anymore. They do not. Uh, well, listen, we <laughs> part of the magic of the show is, is not our amazing banter. Uh, it is really the fact that you get involved as the listener. Thanks to everybody who has joined our Patreon page and is supporting us monthly with their dollar bills. Uh, we would highly appreciate it. If you feel like you get a lot out of the show, give a little bit of back. Uh, that would be great. But we also love emails, and those are totally free. Wearethestoryguys.com is our website. Wearethestoryguys at gmail.com is the email address. And and here's here's a secret. You guys are basically deciding what this show is because you send emails and that's how this is all. Before, well, we thought we could just decide in our own full God mode what we would talk about. <laughs> they want to hear about that Eric Clapton, George Harrison. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we made some good guesses, but then what's happened now is like we make a list of like, here's projects we're working on. And then most of the time, those stay on the list and uh, your emails supersede them because, you know, we're eager to please. So th this is the case this week with a note from Andy. Ozzy Osbourne was my first exposure to hard rock and heavy Sweet. metal. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, I remember hearing Over the Mountain at my next door neighbor's house when I was like seven. <laughs> Let's just yeah. pause and talk about that for a moment. Right, you yeah. have, do you have thoughts on Over the Mountain? Yeah, yeah. I heard I heard that record and I heard Over the Mountain and I was a little older, but I wasn't much older. I was maybe a preteen. So but yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't seven did, or eight. Did you know Sabbath but, first and then Ozzy or did you know Ozzy first? I knew Ozzy. Yeah. And then um Oh, really weird. I knew Ozzy and then I, I learned the albums backwards. So like I like Blizzard of Oz and Diary of the Madman and like I like those are like the big ones or whatever, but I got Speak of the Devil and I was so confused that <laughs> I I got a record with Ozzy with a band behind him playing Sabbath songs and one of the guys playing with him was Brad Gillis from Night Ranger. <laughs> Real fucking story. That, that is true. happened. That, that is happened true. To Ozzy, so I don't have that so in the, weird. I don't have it in the notes to explain that, but like it totally fits in with what we're talking about because basically let's just let Let's let you know that that weirdness that Murdoch just described happens, and it is like sort of tied up in all of this crazy, like legal maneuvering and mumbo jumbo that happens around these records, which is, is what we're going to talk about. I like a little bit of a spoiler alert. L let me just go ahead and read the rest of this letter from Andy. I feel like we need to do that. Uh, he says, "I heard a couple of rumors that Ozzy didn't write any of his songs; that they were written by Bob Daisley and Jakey Lee or others." And then Sharon Osbourne forced the actual writers to give the credit to Ozzy. This is a little disappointing, but is it true? And, oh my God, what a great question. And also, just hold on to your britches, because this is dense. There is a lot to unpack here. 
Boy, is this like the worst secret in rock and roll that Ozzy can't write? Ozzy can't really do anything except just party hard and be like this this figurehead of what we think rock and roll stardom should look like. Like that's really what he has down. The rest of it, there's not a lot there. And we will get to actual quotes from people in his camp who are like, yeah, Ozzy doesn't really have anything to offer. <laughs> he really, oh, it's he's really got nothing. What's weird now is Steel Panther um, goes out with the shtick, with the 80s shtick. And yeah, right. They'll do, they'll do Crazy Train, and then the singer will walk around the stage like Ozzy, but Ozzy now. So he like walks around <laughs> like Frankenstein, like, <laughs> he just walks back and forth around the stage. Well, does an impression of Ozzy, and it's like, you know, Ozzy is very different now than he was. Oh man! Well, years let's ago. let's talk about Crazy Train for a second because, as you can imagine, I knew Ozzy by reputation before I knew him by song. Anyone who builds himself as the Prince of Darkness is going to be forbidden fruit for a preacher's kid in like post satanic panic America in the nineties. Uh, yeah. So the first major relationship I remember forming with his music might have been—I was really trying to narrow this down. It might have been. A, a mix that I was given or made, probably made in college that had Crazy Train on it. And I remember thinking, I've always heard about this song, but hadn't like maybe hadn't really experienced it and remembered remembering thinking like, man, no, people were not lying about how great this song is. Um, right. But it's especially funny to me now because it seems so like forbidden fruit back in the day. And now it's like on DreamWorks Animation's uh, Trolls World Tour movie. Like, oh, really? Oh, it's like kids cool. entertainment. Crazy Train is. There are toddlers who know it. And I had to wait until my 20s. So, dear God. Yeah, and they have and those toddlers have no idea that uh Ozzy used to uh, hang out and go out and tour with these guys named Motley Crue. See, I got to it. You did. Snorting you did. Ants. Congratulations. Ants. We've talked about Those the snorting kids. ants thing before, right? Yes, we have. I know we have. Sure. I just wanted to get us back there. Well, because we, we've reminded. actually, we've talked about Ozzy quite a bit on this show. Uh, we have several episodes. We'll probably throw some of them up at the end of the week as a retold if you've not visited them. But uh, we do have one specifically about that time. I, I really like this one. About the time that he got, he liked totally got lost and they called the cops because they couldn't find him. Um, and, and then we have done some other stuff about him as well. So there, there's a lot of Ozzy. There's a lot of Ozzy we haven't gotten to. There probably will be more Ozzy in the future, but right now we are talking specifically about this question about, did he actually write anything or did basically Sharon Osbourne find a way to like cheat these musicians out of writing credits and song credits and give them to Ozzy. So I think it's more, more the second question. And when I hear Sharon's name, I can't unhear Amy Poehler or whoever from Saturday night live doing her voice. <laughs> Where she's got the little doll. Look at the little doll. She's like, that's, I hear that voice instead of real Sharon voice. So that is. the simplest question is did or did this not happen? So let's just answer that. And the answer is, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. To- yeah totally right. happened. Okay, totally. Okay, it's true. I, I mean, I don't think at this point anybody's denying it. It started It started to really eke out, I think, for a lot of people when they found out that the bass player from Metallica had pre-recorded <laughs> the bass yeah. tracks. Yeah, okay. So we'll get there. That's like going to be the yeah. finish line, right? We're going to get to that part of the story. Let's, yeah. But let's talk a little bit about the beginning of the story. <clears throat> yeah and, and like where let's yeah because there's so much fun stuff with ozzy like where where do we start 
because well, we have to start pre- we have to start BS before Sharon. Yeah, right. A little bit. <laughs> and then BS we have to before and Sharon. Then and then she's got to show up and save him, and then all the shit oh. that happens after that. Oh my okay. god, dude! So right. where are we starting? So we should point out before we even get to that. Let me let me just read something that I found. Uh, we should point out that what Sharon does here doesn't necessarily stop here. I read this when doing research. Quote: Sharon acknowledges that album credits and Ozzy's career are subject to change depending on the status of a particular player's relationship with the Osbournes at any given time. Oh my God. What a crazy contract situation. (laughs) But okay, that said, I think for our purposes today, we're really talking about three albums and you've named at least two of the three, but like, like, why don't you just tell us what three albums you think we're talking about? We're talking about Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Man, Man and Bark at the Moon. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's it. You, You nailed it. Um, we haven't even talked about Bark at the Moon yet. No. We haven't talked about Jakey e. Lee. Like, we're kind of sniffing around. Are, are you a Jakey e. Lee guy? Yeah. Well, like, imagine how old I was. Like, I didn't get to have the Randy Rhodes experience. He died. And right. so I got Brad Gillis on that one record. That happened. Um, Motor Rent. And then he really <laughs> was replaced by Jakey e. Lee. And then Bark happened. And, you know, but there's a record after that, too. But so that's where I got the most screen time with Ozzy first. Okay. It was there. Because I got to see him and see what that whole, what his whole thing was. And and we'll get to Jakey Lee, because he's in this story as well. But let's first line up where we are in Ozzy's career overall, right? So 1979 is when he gets fired from Sabbath. It's before, well, it's after he tries to quit. Right, 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 right. And we're going to talk to that. But th- th- this is interesting because Black Sabbath was managed. Oh, right, right. So, yeah, <laughs> he gets fired. And Black Sabbath's manager is Sharon's dad, Don Art. So, and he's he's kind of Peter Granish, sort of in that kind of like, I'm going to. I'm a tough guy kind of guy. Oh, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. who, the, that's who Black Sabbath's manager is. He, he's not a normal manager. Uh, to, to prove the point, the Daily Mail ran a headline after his death in which they called him, quote, the Al Capone of pop. <laughs> now, I mean, it's the Daily Mail. It's not the New York Times, but still, good Lord. Yeah, but this is really the thing. It's like I, for, you know, I forget about who Sharon's dad is. I mean, and, this is a huge that, part of the story. Right. And and you you think ahead to like years ahead and there's Ozfest. Like how many right. things has Sharon done? Right. And, but you know, all these things that she's kind of been able to do, it's like I guess it's that that's Don Arden's kid, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's the he, it's in the blood, he, man. Where'd she learn it he, from? And he was a right. And so he was a cheater too. And so he he was like on a British show, like a variety show, and he would do impressions of performers and stuff. Like he just was pretending to be somebody else. And then he tries to manage Gene Vincent that happened in 1960. And there's a bunch and, of stories um, about Gene Vincent. So it also, and I, I have not gone deep into this, but there's this story about how Gene Vincent was a raging alcoholic and tried to knife Don Arden at some point early in his career. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know this happened. <laughs> 
there's a lot of stuff, man. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like basically, he accomplishes what he accomplishes through very questionable means. He pays to make songs hits. He withholds royalties and monies from artists. He gets sued over and over. This whole time, though, he has this plan to bring his family into the business and make it a family affair. Okay, well, let's break down what does go down with the songwriting. Well, and to do that, okay, to do that, we got to go back to what you already mentioned, which is that time that Ozzy tried to quit Black Sabbath before he got fired. (laughs) Right, he did try to quit, and then, yeah, and we can talk about that. Yeah, right. I mean, he was going to do this thing called Blizzard of Oz. Which was, which was what? Which which was the he got these guys from this other group and they're called Necro Necromandas ne- right? yeah Necromandas I don't know I'm, I'm assuming yeah. it's Necro because of Necrophiliac but I don't know but the Blizzard of Oz had like Randy Rhodes was in that band and Bob Daisley was in that band well but um, but no hold on the de- this detail is really important right because you're alluding to the later formation which we're going to talk about in a second and in that formation. Was or was that not a band? That is a key component to this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this is because it sounds like and it's, it depends on who told the story that this was going to be this new band called Blizzard of Oz. Well, in 78, it is. In 78, right. it is. Right. right. And, I re- and I remember being young and people talking about Blizzard of Oz and using that interchangeably or instead of using the words Ozzy Osbourne, they would say Blizzard of Oz. And that was weird. And like now I got like it all makes sense. Right. Because these guys who end up coming back were sold a bill of goods. But we're going to talk about that in a second. Let's talk about the fact that he quits Black Sabbath, starts this thing with the Necromandus guys, then quits it because they convince him to come back. Right. And things don't get better. Right. And then so he comes back, but things aren't good. And so he and Tony are, are fighting, and that's when the, the shit went down where they took Van Halen out on tour as openers. Right, and we've talked like about taking, this before because anything like you taking, read about this says it was yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah, and that this tour specifically because they were kind of on the out, like they weren't. Didn't, everything was kind of downhill for them, and the worst band other than like Kiss to have opened up for you. So April of seventy nine is when they boot him for good, like we talked about. And he plans to just, like, coke himself to death and, like, get on yeah. welfare and, like, give up life. But Hotel. Yeah. but remember, Don Arden is trying to build a family empire. So he's got this opportunity now to dispatch his daughter to, quote, I saw this in several places, quote, look after Ozzy's needs, whatever they are. And, and wow. he, you know, she's supposed to protect his investment, basically, right? So she's being sent out as an emissary for Don to take care of this investment. Dispatch. That word. Very different. Crazy. What I would think about. I just didn't really think about it that way. Yeah. And and so she goes out there and convinces him to work and tries to help him find other musicians and put a band together. But it's actually, but here's the thing. And this is like, if you just read a quick summary about this story, this gets overlooked. People just skip ahead and say that she like basically manages him. That is not the case. At first, she is only sent out to, to, get him off the ledge and get him working and, you know, like protect the investment. Like you would see in some terrible eighties movie, right? Go take care of this, you know, this cantankerous uh, person who I have a lot of money invested in. And so who actually is managing him and really has the professional responsibility is, is it's still Don and Don's son, Sharon's brother. 
whose name is David. Oh, so she has a brother? So David Arden will take care of Ozzy's management all the way through the formation of the Blizzard of Oz and through the recording of that first album. You know, Cartman, I learned something today. <laughs> and notice I said frontman of Blizzard of Oz because this comes back to this thing you've already alluded to. Lee Kerslocky, he, he comes from Uriah Heep and he'll play the drums. Bob Daisley from Rainbow, who will play bass. Don Airy of Rainbow, and then he'll be in Deep Purple later. He'll play keys. And Randy Rhodes, of course. We don't have to introduce him. They all claim at this point that they were told they were joining a new band. They were not Ozzy's backing band. Uh, Let me tell you, you said you learned something today. Let me tell you about the amazing stuff I learned in getting ready for this. Bob Daisley has a website. It is bobdaisley.com. Is it? Is it, you know... Updated? updated? No. <laughs> I don't know that it's it's well updated. It looks very old. But um, there is a piece on there from 2010 before he published his his autobiography because there is a book that comes out in 13. But in 10, he did this FAQ about his relationship with Ozzy because there had been these rumors, right? And you, you point out that people start realizing the whole Ozzy wrote – you know, actually didn't write anything. People start realizing that in the early 2000s. So in 2010, he does this like tell all on his website. And so it's coming from his perspective, but I will tell you it is quite the read and we're going to pull a lot from it for the next few minutes. Okay. Well, so for instance, here's Daisley talking about this idea around whether or not he was in a band with Ozzy or part of Ozzy's, backup band slash hired help quote it had never been considered a solo project it had been a band from day one when randy ozzy and i began working together writing songs and auditioning drummers uh lee kerslocky because we'll talk about jake e lee later but if i just say lee i'm talking about lee kerslocky first name lee and i insisted on having a band name rather than the suggestions coming from the record company to call it the ozzy osbourne band or just straight ozzy We were all doing too much in writing the songs, arranging them, and producing the album to take a back seat in a backing band. So when the suggestion of the Blizzard of Oz was made, we agreed on it because it sounded like a band name, and Ozzy had already used it when he let. And people thought of it as a band in '78 when he was trying to do it. All promotional posters, photos, and press referred to us as the Blizzard of Oz, and we told the record company that we didn't mind if they utilized his name on the record sleeve. And it could say, like, featuring Ozzy Osbourne in smaller print. But when the thing comes out, it's the opposite. His name is huge, and Blizzard of Oz is smaller. And that's it. That's it. That ends up setting up the Ozzy Osbourne solo career. Because now we don't really talk about Blizzard of Oz as an entity. We talk about it as an album. Yeah, and this, I wonder, was did Sharon and Don, like, do that? Well, this is the thing. There's a lot of like, when did Sharon actually step in to this relationship, right, with Ozzy? And when did she start pulling the strings for Ozzy? We know she's dispatched to take care of him. When did his name get bigger on the record? Because that's a big thing. Right, right. Well, a lot of articles and stuff that I read will casually reference that their relationship like starts in 79. But according to Daisley, he says... 
I think it was August 1980 when Sharon returned from America and got involved with the bandwagon that was already well and truly rolling. So he's basically saying in this statement that Don and David had already caused this, but she comes in and pushes it forward. And when she and Ozzy got romantically involved during the first UK tour in late 1980, this is Daisley talking, she took over the day-to-day management and eventually exclusive management in 1982. Wow. That's so crazy. So do you know the name Stephen Machat? So No, I don't. I don't he, know the guy. He's a lawyer, but that's all you really need to know. The entertainment lawyer worked around showbiz and stuff. But he got into really working with like some famous people and specifically Ozzy and, and he wrote a book called God's Gangsters in Honor and it chronicles all this stuff that he's done and there's this whole section about Ozzy and Jet Records which is Don Arden's record label and Don Arden yeah. wow. and, and he says this right so he actually takes credit for this quote I made sure CBS signed Ozzy on a solo deal because I didn't want to waste my time negotiating with the lawyers representing other members of the Blizzard The irony was that CBS made this easy for me because they didn't realize where the creative drive laid. Sharon wasn't happy that Kerslocky, Rhodes, and Daisley had such a large creative input into Ozzy's music. More accurately, she wasn't happy for them to share credit. I found this funny because the truth was that Ozzy was barely capable of making the studio recording sessions. It's hammered, yeah. When Sharon took control of Ozzy's career, she seemed to, t- to go against anybody who threatened this image of Ozzy as creative genius. So sure enough, Kerslocky and Daisley get fired in the summer of 81, and their names get erased from the album as if they never existed. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And so <clears throat> this is, that's Blizzard, so, which I heard first. And then, so what's, what's up with Diary of the Madman? So, so how did... That work. Great question. Before they get kicked out, they've already been working on this other stuff for Diary. Mm-hmm. So they write and record most of it, and then that's what gets put out without their names on it at all. Yeah. This this is a quote from Leaker Slocky. Quote, everything was working fine. It was only when Sharon came in that we had a problem. We never suspected a thing until we went away on holiday, and the next minute they're, re- they're rehearsing with Tommy Aldridge, who, who only plays on one album because he's only briefly in the band, and Rudy Sarzo, our old friend, uh, yeah. and then they're going to America. And the, the crazy thing is, dude, we've already alluded to this. It's not just these guys that she does this to. She then will do it again on the third record, Bark at the Moon, to Jakey e. Lee. Gosh. And oh, I have so many questions. Let's save it for the end. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So now... Okay, so he he shows up to replace Brad Gillis from Night Ranger for Bark at the Moon, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and after he got fired, he started a band uh, called Badlands, and they were freaking awesome. Oh really? I've never heard that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll don't, check that out. Don't don't get me started about this <laughs> the band after <laughs> you were in the big band and you had to start the small band that he was in. So oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No. To to your question, Jakey e. Lee, what happens with him? And bark. This is what he says in in a 2014 interview. So not super terribly long ago. I was told from the get go, if you write part of the songs, you'll get writing credit. You'll get publishing. That's part of the deal. But here's the issue. He doesn't sign anything before he starts because they keep telling him. And I read this in certain places that like they were roping him along like, 
oh yeah yeah yeah. dude do, do we not bring the contract oh sorry bro well we'll get it don't worry about it don't worry about it we'll get it yeah you're gonna get everything right so back to his quote we recorded the album i'm by myself i don't have management i don't have a lawyer i don't have anything but they promised me you're gonna get what's coming and i keep asking because i'm getting really close to being done and once i lay down the final track of my guitar playing they were like oh hey here's the contract and in it it says specifically ozzy osbourne wrote all the songs you had nothing to do with any of this and you have no claim to publishing and i i looked at it i'm looking at sharon and i say this is not what you told me and she says, yeah, no, of course it's not. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like the balls on this woman. And he says, why do you think I'm going to sign it? And she says, because if you don't, we're going to give you a plane ticket. You're going to go back home. You're going to go stand in line at the courthouse and try to sue us. And in the meantime, we already have your tracks. And we're going to hire another guitar player, and he's going to redo them, and you're not going to have anything. And so Jakey e. Lee says, well, what am I going to do? Right? Like, if I take my tracks some other guy's going to get all the credit and I have nothing and it wouldn't have been a good decision. And so Bob Daisley actually he's back for this record, which is a whole different story that we're going to talk about. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment, but he explains what happens this way. There were complicated situations for Jakey e. Lee and me at the time regarding the publishing contracts and the song registration. So we agreed to a buyout. So that's that's essentially what Jake explains. At this point, Bob is sort of like brushing over it. But Jake says he was strong-armed into taking the buyout. Now, he has no legal recourse because he basically signs something that says, sure, this is fine. Like, yeah. that's what they do to him. They go to him with a contract and like strong-arm him into signing it. Totally crazy. And, yeah, and... The thing is, is that I can't believe they agreed to do this and then to save face and then go out on tour and 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 do all that. It just blows my well, freaking mind. And here's the thing. When I first started researching this, I was like, okay, cool. So that's it. I guess we can talk about like other crazy stuff with Ozzy because this story is basically that they were jerks and they maneuvered something. Oh, no, 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 no. There is so much more to talk about here. Uh, we haven't talked about Bob Daisley really and all of that. We haven't dug into what really happens with Bob Daisley and Leaker Slocky. And, dude, you, you've you watched Succession on HBO? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I started it again. Uh, this next part has some, like, major Roy family vibes. Because Don Arden doesn't want his... his his daughter dating Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Dude, that, that oh, okay. That, that's a whole thing. There's a bunch of stories about him trying to squash the marriage. I don't know if you've ever read any of these, but yeah. he uh, takes yeah. Ozzy out to lunch with David. So Ozzy's brother, I mean, Sharon's brother and Sharon's dad take Ozzy out to lunch after the marriage and are like, listen, we can help you get this annulled. No biggie. If you just want to oh. back away. Uh, but here's the thing. I read this in several places, too, which I think is crazy. As a wedding present, Don Arden gives Sharon Ozzy's management contract. So this is what happens for her to officially become in charge. Because up to this point in 82 at the marriage, before the marriage, she's an employee of Don, executing Don's wishes, which is a key part of the story we're going to talk about in a second. Now she's a spouse. Right. And the legal manager who owns the contract, 
which is totally freaking nuts. And in 1983, she will take Bark at the Moon to Epic Records. So she literally gets this contract and immediately leaves her dad's record label. (laughs) Balls of steel on this woman. We've already talked about the kind of reputation this guy had. He was the Al Capone of pop. Yeah, yeah. And... Well, how does how does a guy handle this? Well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it causes him all sorts of financial problems. It, yeah. He does end up suing her over it, and like they end up settling for a million dollars or something. Which, like, as much as you read about this family, settling for a million dollars is like the least of it. Like, it's you know, it's like oh, there's a million here and then a million here. It's no big deal. We just settle this for a million dollars. Uh, but this all leads to like fifteen or twenty years of these two not talking. Don and Sharon, not speaking. And there's all this all this stuff I read where like uh, Kelly and Jack Osborne, Ozzy and Sharon's kids, who we a lot of us know if, if we're of a certain age from the MTV reality show, um, they are are told for a long time that like they don't have a grandpa. That Sharon's dad is dead. I read this insane story where. <laughs> I don't think I put this in the notes anywhere or told you about it. There's this story that at one point when the their kids, like old enough, I guess, to like understand what's going on, they're out with Sharon and she sees Don, her dad, and they get in like a shouting match. And I forget who she says it is, but the kids are like, who is that? And she's already told them that Don is dead. So she like says it somebody else, like else? one of his friends or something. And it's like a real person in history. And they like are very confused for a long time because they think, like they realize that that person isn't that person. Like that's not the person mom said she, who she was yelling at. Like that's not that. So anyway, it's all sorts of screwed up. Uh, so you're just going to have to hang on for that. Uh, the story goes that they reconcile in the early two thousands because Don gets Alzheimer's. But as I dug around, there is a case to be made that Alzheimer's is not actually why she reconciles with him. And that's, That's the next part of the story I'm going to tell you.
just say I love the idea of uh, Andy, who wrote this letter to us, like a seven-year-old Andy. I'm just imagining him like, like the, the just the light radiating out of the stereo when he hears this song. <laughs> that is a life-changing moment here. It's like those drums just breaking your eardrums. Yeah, Diary of a Madman was really weird. You just knew it was kind of evil. Oh yeah, and it's like. And it's like when you're watching, like you didn't have this. I mean, we're talking about the Super Bowl. You're eating potato chips. Like I was, I was trying not to get alcohol poisoning. <clears throat> but it's like I remember hearing like that, and like when you know, you, I would see that stuff about how they would say that these guys worship Satan or whatever. Oh right, right, right. Well, I'd be like, well, you know, kind of sounds like it. Yeah. I- <laughs> Yeah, it's like the song. If if if, if Satan if Satan has music, it sounds kind of good. Well, like it sounds yeah. real mean and yeah. I mean, there was there was a Christian rock counterpoint to this, where like people would literally in the eighties put out songs that were like, "Why should the devil have all the good music?" Right? I mean, even even Kiss does. God gave rock and roll, right? Like there is right. this sort of like let's reclaim it from the dark side because it sounds so good when it's dark. <laughs> so you're you're not off on that. And uh, we were talking okay about this whole deal where there's this bad blood between Sharon and her dad. And I had mentioned earlier that even after everything that had happened to Daisley, he comes back for Bark at the Moon. Uh, that this is the reason why, right? Because remember those first two records. They were under Don and David's control. I've driven that into the ground because it's very important to the story. So when Bob and Lee decide to sue for unpaid royalties, because that's what happened. Bob Daisley, Lee Krislocki, they get fired. They have not gotten paid for the first record or the second record in the way that, like, they probably they've gotten like a lump sum, but they haven't gotten royalties or anything. And so they decide to sue. So they're actually suing Don. Now, when Sharon and Don are on the same side, then Sharon has beef with them. But when Sharon and Don have beef, now she's okay with Bob Daisley. And so not only is she okay, Sharon and Ozzy, they come over and start helping in this lawsuit against Don. Man, oh my gosh. This is so messed up. Dude, it there gets has weird. To be more. It there gets has weird. To be more. It, okay. So and, <clears throat> here's the great part. So they go through all that. They do get some they get some they get something out of Don. But like I also read that he doesn't continue to pay. Like he pays them the first amount of the settlement or whatever, but then he like doesn't keep paying them royalties. And they don't really know what happens. Well, here's what happens. In the nineteen nineties, I guess they're trying to investigate why they're not getting subsequent payments from Don. And they find out that in 1983, while this lawsuit is going on, Don sold the rights to the music on those first two records to Sharon and Ozzy. Shit, it's amazing. So I'm quoting Bob Daisley. Quote, from then on, they were receiving our performance royalties from the sales of Blizzard and Diary. I saw legal advice from a law firm in L.A. who told us we had a good case, and so legal action was taken to bring the Osbournes to justice. Ozzy and Sharon had been helping us in our original cases against Don and Jet Records from 1982 and continued, quote-unquote, helping us even though they knew they now owned the rights and were liable after July of 83. Gosh, what a 
dirty, dirty, dirty. Dude, dude. are you following this? Like, this is hella confusing. So I'm just going to try to, like, break it down in bullet points real quickly. Sharon shorts Bob and Lee while working for Don. She quits working for Don and helps Bob and Lee sue Don for shorting them under her watch. Then she gets ownership over the contested catalog and doesn't say anything while the guys are suing Don. The guys realize they're still owed back royalties for subsequent years, and the person that directly owes them that money is the woman who shorted them originally and then sued her father with them years before. Yeah, that's just freaking ridiculous. (laughs) And amazing. There's more, right? There's more, right? Oh, my God, dude. I wish there wasn't more. Uh, It gets worse. Bob and Lee realize... This is where I said is like totally succession. Um, Bob and Lee realized that if the tactic last time when they were doing this lawsuit was to enlist the other half of the embittered party, right? Sharon and Don aren't getting along. So enlist Sharon to sue Don. They're like, well, listen, if now we're suing Sharon and Sharon and Don don't get along, we should go to Don for help. <laughs> It's the wrong day to quit snipping glue, Brian. What the hell? <laughs> so the lawyer's back in this now. Stephen Machat. I mentioned him. God's Gangsters in Honor. Yeah. This is from that book. Quote, Don agreed to do the right thing by the boys and tell in his testimony the whole unvarnished truth. Daisley and Chris Lockie had been royally screwed. Affidavits were drawn up. Okay, so here's the deal. Affidavits, legal documents, are drawn up that said Blizzard was a group recording so Blizzard was a band because that's like at the key of all, the core of all of this is Blizzard a band or is Blizzard an album? Hmm. Blizzard was a band. Ozzy was the vocalist and the group should split the royalties. Daisley and Chris Lockie were not sidemen or session musicians pay, playing for a fee. They were equal members of the group and co-owners of the proceeds. So like- <laughs> they do. So Don signs that against Sharon. Because after Sharon had signed stuff against Don, arguing the other thing. I mean, they're literally reversing their statements legally back and forth to fuck with each other. It's secession. It's, right. it's, it, is, it is Logan Roy shit is what it is. So here's Bob Daisley again, explaining this maneuver with Don in his own words. Leaker Slocky and I met with Don in London, September 12th, 2000. All was discussed and agreed by the three of us that Don would help our case. By that time, our case had been reviewed at least twice via summary judgment, which let's just say a summary judgment is when a judge says, yes, this has merit to be taken to court or not. So they've looked at it twice and they've said it's credible. As for the expense of our lawsuit, our Beverly Hills lawyers were so confident of our case that they took it on under a contingency basis Meaning that if they if we don't get paid, they don't get paid. That's that is how much confidence everybody has in this case. They are going to win. It is black and white. The lawyers aren't even going to get paid until they win. That's how sure they're all of it. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, Sharon and Ozzy are freaking out because they're about to get their comeuppance. And if they have to pay as much as they're supposed to pay to these two dudes, it could actually bankrupt them. So Wow, which is crazy to think about now. This. So remember when I said that Sharon and Don finally buried the hatchet after between, depending on what you read, 15 to 20 years of not talking to each other, of lying so, about him so, even being alive to her kids? 
Oh my gosh. So now she goes back and reconciles with him. She says in the press and in her memoirs, she says she goes back because September 11th, 2001 happens and she starts to revalue her family family, and because he gets Alzheimer's. Bullshit. That is not why she goes back. (laughs) It is not why she goes back. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Okay. So... Here is Bob talking again. Quote, Sharon's lawyers had worked on Don and come up with a contrary affidavit to his original statement for us, which technically is perjury. Sharon got her dad to sign a legal document. Remember, his mental health is failing. Like he started, like Alzheimer's is onset is happening. This legal document says that Bob and Lee had bribed him and coerced him into signing the other legal document. Oh, well, how much of this is illegal? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> who's who's getting So wait. Everyone's getting sued. I mean, I, okay. I, it is impossible. It's like spaghetti trying to untangle all of this. This is more from Bob. Our lawyers wanted to pursue Don for perjury, but the only true witnesses to that fact, like the actual perjury, was Don himself, Sharon, and Steve Machat, the guy who wrote the damn book. And Steve won't do it. He even says in the book that he refuses to do it because he had been friends with Don for a long time and he saw the Alzheimer's coming and he did not want this to be how the relationship ended. This so, but here's the deal. Remember how I said, I said it's bullshit that Sharon got back with him because of feelings of family and love and rearranging her priorities No, she was trying to keep herself. It was all a maneuver to keep herself financially stable. And this is from, this is from the news of the world, which is a British tabloid, but, and I will say it really, it really speaks to the level of ridiculousness of the, of Sharon and Ozzy, because in this particular episode, I've actually used uh, what I say earlier, the daily mirror uh, news of the world and I think I even read some Us Weekly. So, like, we're deep into tabloid territory. But, you know. Don't you be throwing shit around at Us Weekly, Brian. <laughs> Don't you be saying nothing about it at all. This is an ex- extract from News of the World in which Sharon's brother, David Arden, states why he believes that Don Arden changed his mind about helping Bob and Leaker Slocky. Uh, okay. The I quote. Well, this is from the article. The ice between Sharon and Don did not thaw until 2001, and only then because it suited her. In her book, Sharon claims the horrific loss of life in 9-11 terror attack prompted her to make peace, but her brother David sees it differently. He recalls how Sharon desperately needed help in that U.S. court case to save her and Ozzy from bankruptcy. David said, quote, Their case was looking good. They got Dad to confirm Sharon was responsible for their missing cash. Then Sharon rang me saying, I beg you. Please ask dad to reconsider. For Sharon, using the word beg is unheard of. Dad had only signed up with the other side to poke her in the eye. So I spoke to him and he agreed. And then Sharon went crazy with the light. I am positive that was the only reason she came back to my dad. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff, man. Like a lot of this is like Bob Daisley said this. Her brother may or may not have said this to a British tabloid, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, have they made any overt gestures that make them look guilty of all this? And I would argue, yes, yes. And you've already mentioned it. 
What do they do in 2002, Murdoch? <clears throat> they re-release Blizzard and Diary, <laughs> and then they change. They they have the the bass. The bass tracks is Robert from Metallica, <laughs> and the drummer is Mike. Oh Borden. my God, dude! From Faith No More. Good God, yeah. dude! This is insane. This story is absolutely bonkers. And I mean, the fans go ape shit when they do this, right? But I will tell you, if you're going to buy a copy of this record, like people do that anymore, if you're going to listen to a copy of this record, make sure you're not listening to that 2002 remaster. <laughs> go go, show some respect to Daisley and Krislocki, man. Good God, what a train wreck and a roller coaster ride. And I'm really glad that Andy sent us a note to look into that. Yeah, and now, Andy, because I listened to those records so many times, I'm going to actually listen to the re-release version so I can hear the different... The different rhythm section. Well, and I mean, you, which I assumed is mix, I assumed is mixed down nowhere, kind of like Jason <laughs> on Injustice for All. Well, I mean, and here's the thing, right? You're like, it, does it really matter the, the the bass and the drums, aren't they? But then, I mean, we've already heard over the mountain these drums. Good God! Of course, it matters. I mean, yeah. that that oh, holy shit! It's it's unbelievable. If you've got a story you want us to look into like this one if you were a seven-year-old who heard uh over the mountain and it changed your life and you need to know who really played drums on it uh or if you have any other mystery please it's we are the story guys at gmail.com we love hearing from you and you can get involved with us again patreon.com you can get bonus episodes extra content from us uh every month and week and you can also follow us on instagram for free backslash rock and roll bedtime stories but until next time what should people keep doing, Murdoch? Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.